All right, changing gears for a minute. I want you to think of a courtroom and then translate it up into heaven, a heavenly courtroom. And you got your three main players. You got your defendant, you got your prosecutor, and you got your defense attorney. Those are the three I want you to keep in mind because this is the picture in Zechariah chapter 3, and that's where we're at. Listen to what it says. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now, angel of the Lord is a bad translation because when we think of angels, we think of creatures with wings, something that God made to serve him or serve us. But there's really no Hebrew word for angel. The word is straight up messenger. And the reason I don't like the word angel being used is because it infers something that's not necessarily true. And in this case, it's not true. The angel of the Lord is the messenger of God, the word of God. This is Jesus. This is the son of God here, not an angel. So we've got the prosecutor, Satan. We got the defendant, which is Joshua the high priest. And we've got the defense attorney, Jesus. You know Satan is called the accuser of the brothers, right, in the Bible? That's, he's all about coming to God and trying to make you look bad. That's his thing. But Jesus' thing, he stands right next to God to make you look good. And I'm telling you, that's like a... I'd quit if I was Satan. What a useless job. Because he's never going to win over against Jesus. This is what it says about the Lord. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Okay? Stop sinning. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He speaks to the Father in our defense. He's our defense attorney. He's our advocate. He stands right up there with God and says, I'm speaking on behalf of this one. This one gets, you know, I died for this one. He's mine. Don't worry. So Satan's like, nee, 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 nee. and Jesus just says, shut up. He's mine. Short trial. And that's how this one is. Very short. Verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a man, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? You know that word rebuke? When's the last time you've used it in a sentence? We don't use that word. So I thought, you know what? i got to explain this word. So I looked at a bunch of translations of the Bible, and almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them use the word rebuke. And I thought, that's lame. We need a more modern word. So I went to the dictionary, and I went to the Greek, and I said, ah, I know why they use rebuke, because we don't really have a word in English that, that's word. The closest we can come to, and some translations use it, is reprimand. But reprimand is really kind of too weak a word, I think. When God rebukes you, reprimand just doesn't cut the weight of that word. You know what I'm saying? So when the Lord rebukes Satan, it's a definitive done cower tail between your legs run kind of a thing. So the Lord rebuke you. And then it says, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? A little more on the rebuke, then we'll go to the burning stick. I found this cool thing. When I was researching this chapter in Zechariah, I found parallel after parallel after parallel in the New Testament. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Because I said, you know, I've read that somewhere before, and then I do a search, oh yeah, it's over here, and I read somewhere, oh yeah. All the parallels came from the same book in the New Testament, and it's one of the shortest books in the New Testament, the book of Jude. 
So God's doing something. I'm not sure exactly what, but Jude and Zechariah go like this. So I'm going to share with you some of those parallels. Listen, Jude 1, verse 9. Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All right, so when fighting against Satan in the heavenly courtroom, this is the verbiage used, the Lord rebuke you. When Michael the archangel fought against Satan, this is the verbiage that was used, the Lord rebuke you. And do you know what an archangel is or an archangel is? Chief angel. The word arc means higher or super or prototype, the, the best. So you got angels, but then you got your uber angels. Michael's one of the uber angels. Gabriel's one of those uber angels. So you got angels, and then you got Michael. So Michael's going to battle with Satan. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us any more than this, but apparently there's a battle over uh, Moses' body. Whatever. Michael's got to fight Satan. What's he do? He calls on the name of the Lord to rebuke him. So what do we have in Zechariah? We have this verbiage, the Lord rebuke you. What do we have in Jude? We have the same verbiage, the Lord rebuke you. Then he was called this stick snatched from the fire. Let me read it again. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? What does that mean? I didn't know what that meant until I read Jude. And Jude explained to me what it meant. Listen from Jude. Remain in God's love... As you look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, which brings eternal life. Show mercy to those who have doubts. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Ah, I understand now. In life, sometimes you're the fireman, and sometimes you're the burning stick. And when you see a brother heading towards the flames, you got to snatch him out. My mind pictures a big pit. You know, maybe it's a mile around. It's just flames spitting out. It's hell. And we've got people on our planet just going, la-da-da-da-da-da, heading right into it. So we have stationed ourselves around the perimeter so that nobody will go in. And sometimes they, you know, try to break through, and they're falling in, and we try to grab them by the pants or grab them by the arm, or they're dangling and saying, help, help. We reach in and we grab, grab them out. Some people just want to go in, and they won't let you rescue them. But some people snatch them. Help them. Joshua was the high priest. This is the time the temple had been destroyed. The people were dispersed. They were gone for 70 years. They came back. They rebuilt the temple. Now Joshua is the high priest. He's a man of God. He's the chosen one from God for the very first rebuilding of the temple. He's God's man. And yet he still gets into heaven with his coattails on fire. You know, I used to think, man, that, that was a great expression, but really we all get into heaven with our coattails on fire, don't we? Aren't we all at one point snatched from the fire? We're the burning stick. So we get out, we dust ourselves off, we slap off the charcoal, and then we're there to get somebody else out of the fire. Verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin. I will put rich garments on you. So in the Bible, 
if you're wearing filthy clothes, that's a symbol for being impure, sinful. You're wearing white clothes, clothes. What's a clove? Where did that come from? You're wearing white clothes, and that's a symbol of purity and holiness. It says in the Bible that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Lightness, purity. Dirtiness, sinfulness. So in Joshua, we've got this picture of a high priest, supposed to be the holiest man on the planet, and yet God says, no, he's just a brand snatched from the fire in filthy rags. He's no better than anybody else. But we can work with that. Take off his filthy clothes. See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Back to Jude. Listen to what it says. Remain in God's love as you look for the mercy of our Lord, Jesus the Messiah, which brings eternal life. Show mercy to those who have doubts. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the clothes stained by their sinful lives. So the same thing. We've got the dirty clothes of Joshua and Zechariah, and now we've got the dirty clothes here in Jude. Hating even the clothes stained by their sinful lives. I don't want to see a raise of hands, but let me ask you a question. Do you hate sin? Uh, intellectually, sure. But sin is, I mean, really, if sin wasn't fun, who would do it, right? We like sin. That's why we do it. But the Bible says we're supposed to hate sin. So what do we do? We like sin, but God says hate sin. What do we do? It's, it's a conundrum. It's kind of like you love the bakery, but the doctor just told you you're a diabetic. What do you do? Well, you acknowledge the fact that you like the bakery, but that it will kill you, so you determine to make a willful choice to stay away from the bakery, even though it's still calling your name. That's what you do. You don't lie to yourself and say, I don't like chocolate cake. You know you like chocolate cake. You just know it's not good for you, so stay away from it. I don't like sin. Yes, you do. That's why you do it. But acknowledge that it's not good for you and make a willful choice to stay away from it. And then think even deeper on it. You realize sin is what killed Jesus. He died because of sin. So if we like sin, if we're making a relationship with sin, we're making buddy-buddy with the thing that killed the Son of God. You, you want to do that? So you got to start to get, I guess, program your own mind to understand that sin is bad, even though it looks good. God hates it, and we need to hate it somehow, some way, too. We need to get out of our dirty clothes and put on white robes clothes are a funny thing. I don't know why they just don't make them disposable. You know, I don't have a, I can't seem to eat without getting something on my clothes anymore. Becoming a slob. And pasta is the worst, isn't it? It just like flies. I don't know. And of course, every time you go to eat pasta, you got to be having a white shirt on. It's just like, it's the rule. So sometimes I'll get something on my clothes, right? It's like, oh man, how did I do that? Who doesn't do that? Let me know if you've ever done that. You just made it worse, didn't you? Now, how many times have you done that and made it worse more than once? 
<laughs> Why do we do that? So I got this new trick. When I'm at home, I just peel off my shirt, I go to the sink, put a bunch of soap on it, smear it in, throw it in the washing machine. Save me a shirt. I've gone to restaurants, and I've gone into the bathroom. I get some rags, and I'm, I look all wet, and I look bad, but at least I saved my shirt. I had one shirt. It was a black shirt. Nothing should, should mess with that shirt. Somehow I got a little grease on it. I don't even know where it came from. To this very day, I got a little, just an off-colored spot on my black, and I can't wear the thing. I'm like, man, what a waste, and I like the shirt. Why is it that it's been washed 20 times, but it's still discolored? Is the grease still in there? Or did the, the grease do something to the material that it's like forever ruined? I don't know what's going on, but it's kind of like sin. You can't do that and get it out. You're just going to make it worse. And it, it's just, and I'm, you know, I get to wash my shirt at least. Imagine you never get to change your shirt. And you wear that shirt for your whole life. And you're going to look like a painter by the time it's done. There's your dirty clothes. All you can do is get a new garment. And that's what God does for us. Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. You see why this is called Book of Life Community Church? We want everybody's name in the Book of Life. That's what we're about. We want you all walking in whites. I want to point something out to you in this passage that you may never have paid any attention to. Because we spend a lot of time, and, and rightly we should, talking about our sins and our shortcomings. But listen what it says. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. It's not saying because Jesus is worthy. It's saying they are worthy. When we give our lives to Christ, our value shoots through the heavens. We become a worthy thing. And it's a wonderful... God calls you worthy. How awesome is that? I know we beat ourselves up a lot. Stop. If you love Jesus, if you've made a commitment to follow him... You are worthy, and you will be dressed in white forever. It's a beautiful thing. But it's reserved for those who have chosen to follow Jesus. And then he says, I will never blot his name from the book of life. I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. What a thing. So we have this picture of Joshua standing up there, the high priest, Satan doing everything he can to point out his dirty clothes. And Jesus basically saying, shut up, he's mine, I speak for him. And puts on clean clothes. You're going to go to heaven one day. And Jesus is going to say, Father, this is Jack. Remember the one I told you about? He's mine. Come on in, Jack. Welcome into heaven. Oh, fill in the blank. Whatever your name is, just plug it right in there. Jesus is going to confess your name before the Father in heaven, and they're going to usher you right into heaven. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture. But it doesn't say just before my Father. It says before my Father and his angels. 
when the angel of the Lord, who I told you was Jesus, he spoke and said, take off his dirty clothes and put on white clothes, there's the inference of angels being present there. And in Jude, angels are mentioned. And here in Revelation, angels are mentioned. At Mount Sinai, angels are mentioned. We've got angels that minister to the heirs of salvation in the scripture. Angels are very active in the whole process, in the whole salvation picture. Angels are part and parcel of whom we spiritually interact with. Now, I told you about the uber angels, Michael and Gabriel by name. But a bunch of angels rebelled against God. And so we didn't want to call them angels anymore, but that's what they are. They became dirty, foul beasts. So we gave them a new name. We call them demons. But demons are just angels that rebelled against God. And of course, there's an uber demon, and his name is Satan, or the devil. He's nothing to be messed with. In the Lord, we have the victory. But outside of that, scary business. But he is interested in you, and his minions are interested in you. He will do whatever he can to shipwreck your faith and dirty up your garments. His job is to make you look bad. He gave himself that job, and he's very good at it. He will do what he can to ruin your day. Every bad thing in life does not is not attributed to him. He's not omnipotent, but he's nasty, and he's got countless minions to help him. So, every corner, somewhere out there, is a demon waiting to trip you up. I'm not trying to send you out of here freaking out and looking for ghosts around every corner. I just want you to be aware that we're in a spiritual battle. So what do we do about it? Well, first of all, don't freak out about it because we have the victory. But there's a battle plan for victory, okay? And I'm going to share with you the battle plan. Five parts. Battle plan number one in fighting Satan. Fight Satan in the name of the Lord. And I got that from Zechariah and Jude. Even the Lord himself, when he rebuked Satan, said, the Lord rebuke you. When Michael fought Satan, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So if you're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan, what are you going to say? The Lord rebuke you. Do not try to take Satan on in your own power. Uh-uh. And don't disrespect Satan. Don't think he's just some little worm that you can step on. He is scary business. He's a pit bull and you're in your bathing suit with no pepper spray. Scary business. You could win, but you're going down bloody. And pit bulls kill a lot of people. You could lose, too. So what you need to do is take Satan very seriously. And when you go to battle, go to battle in the name of the Lord. Now, what does that mean, in the name of the Lord? There were these guys. They were Jewish exorcists. And they had seen the Apostle Paul cast out demons in the name of Jesus, in Yeshua's mighty name. So they said, wow, this guy, he's much better than we are. Why don't we use his magical formula to cast out demons? So seven brothers went to this house where there was this demon-possessed guy. And they said, in the name of Yeshua, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And I could just picture horror movie quality. Demon-possessed person's face goes. Maybe the head spin around three times, you know. Eyes are red. Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? And then the demon-possessed guy beats up all seven of those guys, and they flee from the house naked and bruised. Seven of them. 
or beat up by one demon-possessed guy. But they tried to do it in the name of Jesus. Yes, they did. But it's not a magical formula. Paul knows Jesus. They don't. Doing something in the name of Jesus isn't words. It's a relationship. You know Jesus. It's in his authority that you do it. They had no authority. They weren't related to Jesus. <laughs> That's why it didn't work for them. Battle plan number one, when you fight Satan, fight him in the name of the Lord, knowing the Lord in the Lord's authority. Now, somebody came up to me yesterday after services and said, what does it actually mean? How do I even know if I'm in a spiritual battle? Well, I said, firstly, you're always in a spiritual battle. Every day is a spiritual battle. And that's part, we don't think that way, but it's true. You know, these things that pop into your mind, you're like, where did that come from? That's a spiritual battle. It often presents itself as a moral battle. Often. But not always. Some, I mean, on the bizarre side, yeah, somebody's levi levitating off the ground, their head's spinning around, and you know they're possessed. Th those things happen. Well, I don't know if they levitate, but freaky things happen. Then you know you're in a spiritual battle. That's the easy ones, because you know you're in the spiritual battle. What about the day-to-day -day little temptations that come your way at work? Things that just... You know, things weren't like that yesterday. What's, what's going on? And all of a sudden, there's a run of bad luck. Everybody has bad days, but this is just beyond that. Something's going on. Spiritual battle can be a real tricky thing. It can be obvious or not obvious, but know this. You're in the battle every day. And as I taught on the battle a few months back in the spiritual armor that we're supposed to wear... I told you, you put on the spiritual armor when you get saved, and you never take it off. When you're a soldier and you're at war, you don't take off your clothes, because any minute you might be called to battle. So you wear your equipment while you sleep in the trench, waiting for the next guy to pop his head up. It's a battle we're in. Tactic number one, fight Satan in the name of the Lord. Battle plan number two, go to war unchained. Imagine going to war in a straitjacket. What's that called? That's called a target. <laughs> yeah, suicide. You're a victim. Or, or what if your arms only lifted this high and you had shackles on your feet that only let you take half a full step? You can't go to battle wrapped up. Turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. You know, we're going to have to come up with a new expression. Touch your Bible open. <laughs> Opening up my sword here on my smartphone. And I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know what version you have in front of you. I'm going to read from the International Standard Version. Listen to what it says. I'm having you open because I want you to know where it is. And I want you to see it. But I want you to hear it in this version. Therefore... Having so vast a cloud of witnesses surrounding us and throwing off everything that hinders us and especially the sin that so easily entangles us, let us keep running with endurance the race that's set before us. The sin that entangles us. You cannot go to battle entangled is what I'm trying to say. You've got to get rid of that sin. And this is not something you can do by yourself. If you go to battle with Satan, you need to do it cleansed from your sin. Otherwise, you are entangled. You are encumbered. Here's how the Bible puts it. 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want to go to war with Satan. You want to go unchained. Confess your sins to the Lord. Fight in the name of the Lord. Get rid of your sin. Battle plan number three. Go to war with the team. I've got a picture here I'd like to show you. We'll put it up on the screen. This is how we do battle. We always go with a team. You, you know snipers also go with a team? Snipers don't go alone. Besides everything being set for them and the way cleared, they got to at least have a spotter with them. And the spotter's job, distance, wind speed, direction, and watching the sniper's back. Because that sniper's got one thing in his mind, finding his target. But what if the enemy comes up behind him? He can't be distracted. He can't turn away and move his gun. He's got to start all over again. So he's very vulnerable. The spotter watches his back. When we go to spiritual battle, we do not go alone. Even when Jesus sent out the disciples and he empowered them, he put the Holy Spirit on them and said, cast out demons. They had uber power. He sent them by twos. He didn't send any of them alone. Never go to spiritual battle alone. And this is why, in part, I keep inviting you to come on Wednesday nights. Because I want you to build relationships with other people in the church. People you can trust and know somebody's got your back. When you do the terp typical American church thing, you show up and you shake a few hands, smile at a few people, and then go away and do it again next week, next week. You can come to a church for 10 years and not know five people's well at all that way. And then when it hits the fan and you need help, you don't know anybody well enough to ask. And nobody knows you well enough to ask you, hey, are you doing okay? Or I haven't seen you in church the last couple weeks. They don't even have your phone number. And maybe your battle, maybe it's, it's kind of personal. Maybe something's going on with your wife. And you don't go up to a total stranger and say, hey, dude, would you pray for me? Because me and my wife are, un you're too embarrassed. You're too uncomfortable. But when you know people and you trust people, you're not embarrassed to tell them about your problems. You know they got problems too. You were praying just for theirs last week. So the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another, but we don't do that because we don't trust one another. And so we're missing out on the spiritual power and blessings that are ours because we're not doing things the way God wants us to do them. We go to war as a team. Never go battle Satan alone. Even Jude inferred it when he said, save others by snatching them from the fire. He doesn't say, climb out of the pit by yourself. It's our job to reach in and snatch people out. It's a team job. We've got to catch each other's back. In fact, Paul made it even more intimate than that. He said, together we form one body. He doesn't even look at us as you know, brothers and sisters. He looks at us as being one united body. You know, I think Wednesday night I'm going to come to church, but I'm going to leave my left hand, my right ear, and my left foot at home. Right, stupid, isn't it? We would, duh. But that's the picture Paul wants us to have. We are a body. And if a piece of us hurts, we all hurt. You know, I, I got this weird thing going on. My left knee's jacked up. 
I've also noticed that my left leg is jacked up and that my left hip is jacked up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jose saying, you're getting old. <laughs> but I noticed that the knee is connected to the leg and the leg is connected to the hip and I can't help but wonder if my hip is jacked up because my knee's jacked up. You, you follow me? And if something doesn't happen, pretty soon it's going to move up to my back and my back's going to be jacked up and I'm just going to be walking around with a stick. It's connected. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. And if somebody in this body is hurting and you don't know it, something's wrong. If you don't feel it, something's wrong. Recently, we got an email that somebody was leaving the church. And it really upset me. Because I labored in prayer for this person's family and this person for months for many different things and we saw God work in that person's family see that person wasn't just somebody who showed up that was a family member somebody I love and just to get this glib little email oh, we're leaving because you know the temperature's not right in the sanctuary that's not what they said but it was almost as insignificant as that I was like I was hurt. I was offended and I was mad. It's like, really? Can you imagine next Thanksgiving going home for dinner and just saying, Mom, Dad, you've been great, but I found some other people I like better, so I'm done with you. Mom, your turkey's okay, but the lady down the street makes a better turkey, so I'm joining that family. Taking my inheritance over there, changing my name, I'll never see you again. That's what's going on in churches every week. I'm just getting sick of it. And it's hard to invest your heart into people and they keep stabbing it and stabbing it. Man, I've been a pastor for almost a quarter of a century and I keep telling God, on and off, not every day, like, God, you know, I'll quit. when Just give me the, the go-ahead. I'm ready. I'll quit any time. I'm just sick of getting hurt, God. I'm sick of it. But he hasn't given me the go-ahead yet. And you know why? Because then I'd be doing what they're doing. Dang it, <laughs> it's not fair. At least I've been hanging in for 25 years in one church. Listen, this is what I want you to know. Find a church, check into it well. If you don't like it, leave and find another church. Check into it well, and when you like it, commit yourself to it as if it's your family. Straight up, for better or for worse, sickness and in health till death do you part. Steve, I'm not making that up. I'm just talking to you about what the Bible says. You are the body of Christ. Don't go lobbing pieces off and moving them all around. It's just not healthy. It's not good. Thank you for letting me rant. I appreciate you people. All right, battle plan number one. Fight Satan in the name of the Lord. Battle plan number two. Go to war unchained. Battle plan number three. Go to war with a team. Battle plan number four, go to war armed. Let's take out our weapons. Somebody keep an eye on Randy. <laughs> I mean this weapon. You got yours? In the real world, that's not much of a weapon. So the Holy Spirit takes Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, out into the wilderness for one reason and one reason only, to be tested by the devil. 
Uber demon against son of God. Of course, Jesus is out there for 40 days praying and fasting. He's hungry, he's weak, and he's tired. And of course, that's when Satan chooses to show up. Now, this is a huge spiritual battle. But it's really, on paper, it seems like such a simple thing. Change your mind about spiritual battles. They're very simple sometimes. Satan, and I'm paraphrasing, ah, you've been out here 40 days, you're hungry. Well, you're the son of God. There's some rocks, turn them into bread. You can do that. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how does Jesus, the son of God, fight the devil? He quotes the Bible. And he doesn't change his behavior to accommodate the devil's suggestion. He trusts God. He said, I'm okay. I can live by the word of God. Forty days he went without food. You know, if Satan came to him on day one, it would have been a temptation. He waited till day 40. Even the Son of God gets hungry. So Satan attacks Jesus with a temptation, and Jesus responds by leaning on the Word of God. That's your weapon in the spiritual battle. So a little later, takes Jesus up onto the pinnacle of the temple. He says, well, if you're the Son of God, jump. It's about a 70-foot drop or so, 90-foot drop. Because it's written that his angels will take charge of you and you won't even dash your foot against a stone. I want you to know Satan was quoting scripture too. That's in the Psalms. It's a messianic prophecy about the protection of the Messiah. He quoted it accurately. God did promise to protect the Messiah. You realize there were times that people tried to stone him and kill him and they couldn't do it. Until the time of his crucifixion, God gave him miraculous protection. Satan quoted scripture right. But Satan didn't know scripture as well as Jesus knew it. Jesus said, it's also written, do not tempt the Lord your God. So why would I jump off the pinnacle of the temple? Even though God can protect me, I'm not supposed to put God to the test. And he didn't. The devil said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They're mine, and I will give them to you if you would just bow down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan left. Resist the devil and he will flee. Wasn't voodoo. Wasn't an incantation. All it was, was quoting scripture. Trusting God and his word over the devil and his word. Adam and Eve didn't do that. And they ruined the universe. The Son of God did do that, and he saved the universe. When you need to go battle with the devil, go armed. Know the word of God and trust it. One more thing. Battle plan number one, fight Satan in the name of the Lord. Battle plan number two, go to war unchained. Battle plan number three, go to war with a team. Battle plan number four, go to war armed. And battle plan number five, go to war armored. In every culture, soldiers had some sort of armor, even if it was just leather, something to deflect an arrow, to make an edge a little duller, something. Well, the Romans are history's foremost warriors. And 
Paul teaches us about being armored by, based on what they wore. So let me read to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. All right. Don't have a lot of time to go into these, so I'm just going to tiptoe through them. Basically, the spiritual battle, the armor, consists of seven pieces, the perfect number in Scripture. Makes sense. Number one, the belt of truth. Um, obviously, they wanted something around their middle to protect themselves from stabs and spears and stuff. The belt for us is truth. When we fight Satan... You cannot fight Satan while you're playing his game of dishonesty. You're on his side when you're doing that. He's the father of lies. We need to walk in the truth if we want to resist Satan. So part of the spiritual battle, I told you, it's not magic, it's not voodoo, it's, it's moral a lot of it. Walking in truth gives you armor against the devil. You like to lie, you like to deceive, you like to play on the edge. Well, you're just playing with fire is all you're doing in the literal sense. Don't do it. Arm yourself against Satan. Armor yourself. Make a shield about your midsection. Walk in the truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart. That's what the breastplate does. Guard your lungs. Most vital organs of your body. Righteousness. When you walk in truth and you walk in righteousness, you're limiting the targets for the enemy to shoot at. Who was it? Was it Mark Twain who said, don't lie and you'll never have to remember anything? I get that. You've got to keep your story straight. Who did I tell what? You don't have to worry about it. Just tell the truth. If you're walking in the truth, there's no leverage. There's nothing that Satan can, can attack you about. If you're, if you're living a righteous life, he can't dangle your extramarital affair over your head. Now nah, I'm going to warn somebody. I'm going to tell somebody. You're going to be exposed. Cheat, lie. You're cheating on the books at work. Oh, I'm going to call the cops. There's nothing he can, he can hold over you because you're living in integrity. He's got no leverage. Truth and righteousness, armor against Satan. Shoes, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ goes with you wherever you go. And you're safe from Satan. The helmet protects the brain, protects the head. That's salvation. Coming to Christ, giving your soul to him. By the way, though it's good to walk in truth even if you don't love and serve the Lord. It's good to walk in righteousness even if you don't love and serve the Lord. It will give you some benefit. But this is a package deal. 
Imagine going to battle with just a breastplate on, but no helmet, no sword, no shoes. It's a package deal. You want the full package. The shield of faith. This is what you hide behind. This is what Jesus was doing when he was being tempted and using his sword. He said, God says, I'm good. Man shall not live by bread alone. I don't need to turn these stones into bread. I'm good. Um, I'll give you all these things if you just bow down and worship me. No, I'm going to trust God who said, worship him only. And by the way, Jesus does have all those things now. But he's got them with integrity. Trusting the Lord, the shield of faith. The Bible says that it will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's like a force field. A Roman shield was cool, but come on, we're in the 21st century. It's a force field. You turn on that force field and you're in a bubble. And nothing can get through. Atom bombs can't get through. Laser beams can't get through. You're just sitting there smiling. If you trust God, you are 100% safe from Satan. That's your shield of faith. And, of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you've been taking notes, you've said, Steve, you said there were seven, but there were six. You left me high and dry, Steve. Nope. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying. Pray. Prayer, request, which is another way of saying prayer, and pray. Four times in verse 17, pray. So that's part of your battle strategy. It's part of your armor. Prayer. I like prayer. In today's scenario, it would be something like this. You've got your soldiers in your little group. What do you call it? A squad. Okay? Remember, you never go alone. You've got your squad... You've been sent out on your mission. And all of a sudden, you're surrounded by hostiles everywhere. And there's only your squad of 10 guys. They've got mortars. They've got grenades. You stumbled into a mess. You thought there were two guys and a mad dog. And you stepped into an entire platoon. What do you do? You get on the walkie. And you order in an airstrike. Say, listen, guys, we're outnumbered. We need some help. Just a click North of our position, look for the stand of trees. If you'll take out all those trees, mission's done. Because there's a hundred bad guys in there with mortars and grenades and bombs, and we're, we're hunkered down trying just to stay alive. Said, Roger that, three minutes out. And you're smiling, because these guys have no idea what you just did. They have no idea what's going to rain down on their heads in three minutes. And all of a sudden, boom! The whole stand of trees becomes kindling and you get up and you go on with your mission. Prayer. Talk to God. He'll call in the heavenly forces. He'll do whatever he needs to do. He'll, he's got your back. But what good are those soldiers who don't ask for help? Sometimes, have you ever been beat up and then a day or two later you're like, dude, why haven't I been praying about this? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. It has to me. I'm a pastor. I just get upset and depressed sometimes and I forget to pray about it. It's like, then I feel stupid. It's happened more than once and then I feel really stupid. But it doesn't happen as often and I don't have to wait as long. <laughs> Getting there. I don't know, I, just, I guess I crawl into my little hole like everybody else does and get discouraged. But then I remember, oh yeah, I can call in air support. I'll just pray. Prayer support, that was nice, thank you, I like that. 
prayer support. Awesome. All right. Ephesians says we're not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. That's why we don't win. That's why it's always bad. That's why there's no uh, political solution to what happened in Connecticut. Because it's a spiritual battle. Gun control, no gun control. How about prayer? How about we do that? Let's just pray. How about we call everybody together to pray about it? Wouldn't that be great if that's what the NRA did and that's what the Democrats did? They said, you know what? We don't have a solution. How about we all get together one day and just pray? Oh, man. I don't think it's ever happened. Wow. Somebody call Obama for me and tell him that's what I suggest, please. <laughs> We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against demons and spiritual forces, and the rules are different. We're called to battle. We will go to battle. The question is, will we go armed and armored? The question is, will we go in the name of the Lord? Will we go unchained? Will we go with a team? Will we go armed, and will we go armored? We will go to battle. The question is, will we win? If you go with this battle plan, you will. You can't lose. It's not possible. But if you don't go with this battle plan, you will lose. You can't win. It's not possible. God has given us what we need, but we need to take it to win. So I'm going to send you home with just one question this morning. Have you been unshackled? Have you been unchained? Or are you still mired up in your sin? Are your clothes clean? Or are they dirty? Only Jesus Christ can unshackle you. Only he can cleanse your garments. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what you need to do if you've not yet done so. You have to acknowledge before God that you acknowledge your sin. That you have walked a path that hasn't been with him as your Lord. You've done things that you know you shouldn't do, and you've done them willfully. That you're going to make a commitment to follow him from here on out. Of course, that doesn't mean you'll become perfect. Nobody's perfect. It just means you're going to go his path and not yours. That you believe in him, and that you will follow and obey him. That you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again. If you believe that Jesus died for you, and you're willing to commit to Jesus, then you will be instantly armed and armored, unshackled, ready to do battle in the name of the Lord. And I pray that it's your case this morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see the things that you see and to trust you. To step behind our shield of faith to proclaim the word of the Lord and to reject sin so that we might go into battle unshackled. Give us the victory and give us our team. Show us whom you would have us build special relationships with, whom we can lean on and whom can trust us. God, help us to be a bright light in a dark place, good people 
not at all afraid to go to battle, knowing that there's just no way we can lose. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.